welcome to Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. Ken Danford is someone who does not need a lengthy introduction on this podcast because we have discussed his organization, North Star, Self-Directed Learning for Teens, many different times and recorded a few whole episodes about North Star. And so if you need some refresher on what North Star is, go to northstarteens.org or listen to those other episodes. And otherwise, here is Ken. My guest today is Ken Danford. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, good to be here. Thanks for having me, Blake. Ken, we recorded the very first episode of this podcast back when it was called the Real Education Podcast in 2015. And I'm proud to say that your episode, episode number one, is still the number one most listened to episode of the entire podcast. You are a popular guy. I am a champ. That makes my day. I'm not a champ at very much, but thank you, Blake. <laughs> I uh, I actually refer people to this podcast all the time because I really liked the interview that we had. I thought it was a really uh, good one. So I, I did you. too. Yeah, it kicked it off in, in all the right ways. Um, but I told you a while ago I wanted to bring you back on the podcast because a lot has happened between now and then. Sure. And yeah, just to state some of the obvious things, you have a new website. So people... You know, if they want to learn about you, you don't have to go scrounging around online because they can just go to kennethdanford.com. Yes, I'm pretty excited about that. My daughter helped me uh, rearrange things, and it's full of articles and podcasts and everything I've done. And it's pretty informative, actually. So um, I hope people go look at it. Was kendanford.com taken? No, I like to use Kenneth in the formal moments. Oh, right. Excellent. And, of course, the even bigger news is that you have a book. You finally wrote the book, Ken. I wrote the book, and it's a book. And so far, people <laughs> seem to like it. No, one, no one's come to complain yet. <laughs> so the book is called Learning is Natural, School is Optional, The North Star Approach to Offering Teens a Head Start on Life. And, of course, the thing that we talked about in the first episode was North Star, uh, which you are the co-founder of and the current executive director of. And can you tell us just a little bit about this book and, you know, what the inspiration was, uh, why you waited so long to write it, et, et cetera? Sure. Um, the book is my attempt to dump out all the things in my brain about starting a center and running a center and why I find it joyful and inspiring into one place so that it's not just in my head and I can share it with everybody else. Um, it took me a while to have the confidence that the story was worth sharing. I mean. Like literally the first day of North Star, I knew we had an article or a story or something worth sharing, but I didn't know we had a book worth sharing back then. And um, because obviously from the first day, I saw huge transformations of kids who had been in school who now opted out with our help and were having much better lives. So I knew there was a story, but a book always felt a little weightier to me. And I also I felt held back partly because. Um, the finances are not clear for running a center and making it work and sustaining it. And they're still pretty murky for North Star. It's pretty hard to have enough money to pay everybody as much as we'd like. But after 20 years, it got to the point of like, oh, I'm just going to say that and keep going and get the book. Because now there's enough alumni and there's stories and there's alumni studies. And um, this the moment seems to have come. The other thing is that I'm older. I, I, I've done more. Um, and my own kids are growing and out of the house and I have time to focus on something like this where I didn't have time before when my kids were young, I was pretty much parenting when I wasn't doing North star. My children are 23 and 20. And as you may know, they each 
wrote an essay as an epilogue to the book about how they chose not to do North Star. Um, it's pretty entertaining. Everybody in my family and friends love that chapter the best in the whole book, of course, the epilogue, not written by me. And uh, But the fact that they're growing and out of the house meant that I had time and space to actually sustain attention on the the work of making a book happen mm-hmm. and then following up with it and talking to people about it now. So mm-hmm. the space in my life is here. This is the right time. I have the confidence. I have the story and it seems like it should get done. And it is. And I had good support from people at North Star, uh, the team, the people who want to read the book and make it happen, proofreaders and editors and helpers and cover art and all the, you know, all the important people who were willing to team up with me. So um, now's the time. Yeah. And it, is genuinely a really great book. And I don't say this about about many books. And I am biased. I love the North Star model. I always have. And I, I wrote a blurb for the book. And so I clearly uh, biased. But still, I recommend, if you're on the fence about buying this book, get it because it's wonderful. All right. Enough Thank of you. pitching your book. All right. Yes. Can I say one other important thing that happened this Please. year along with the um, book? It, it kind of almost contemporaneously is that Jeremy Stewart's film Self-Taught came out in May. And uh, or the world premiere was at the Arrow Conference in June, I guess, that we were at. And 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 North Stars featured in Jeremy Stewart's movie Self Taught. And I'm pretty happy with that segment. It makes us look good. It does. You look very good. Thank you. Um, and you also mentioned something new that happened since we first talked in 2015, which is the alumni study that you conducted. Right. And yes. you published a, a very lengthy piece on the Alliance for Self-Directed Education's website and uh, this something like this had never been done before with North Star right can can you tell us about it sure um again something i didn't have necessarily the confidence or direction to do and i got some help from a number of people both you know, among the North Star team board of directors Gary Bernhard um some staff at the University of Massachusetts School of Education and then later on from uh Peter Gray who helped uh, me with the concept of dividing the study into two parts one about teams who used North Star for the duration and moved on from North Star to young adulthood, whether it was college or work or some other kind of interesting activity. With And the second part being teens who used North Star for a brief time and basically returned to junior high or high school after North Star. And that was a really helpful division, and that, that's fully attributable to Peter Gray. And conceptually what um, was offered to me by these helpers was a way to generate some numbers that were usable without them being, you know, hard data um, about what's been going on. And so the idea was to look at basically what did, what did kids do after North Star? What was their first stop after North Star? And after that, what did they do second after North Star? And did they go to community college or did they go to work or did they travel or do something unusual? Were they entrepreneurial? Did they go back to school and so on? And and just counting everybody and saying, well, you know, ultimately 70 to 80% of these people do go to college of some sort or a formal two-year training program is interesting stories. And we also did a section with, before they came to North Star, we tried to identify what was the the precipitating need to, to opt out of school. Well, A, were they already homeschooling or not? And B, if, assuming most of our kids were coming from school, um, could we identify a few categories of kids, which we identified three primary categories. One was they were managing well in school, going every day and passing, maybe even honor roll grades. And it turned out to be about 57% of the kids, which is pretty high, pretty interesting 
uh, thing to, to notice. Yeah, yeah, that is. And then the uh, other two groups were either having difficulties with, with mental health and stress and anxiety and depression or um, more independently just refusing and resisting and not trying and hating school and making a mess of it on purpose without feeling depressed or anxious about it. Um, and then there was a, a fourth category of miscellaneous people with health issues or maybe just didn't fit in anywhere else. Um, certain kinds of learning disabilities and other issues. But but for the most part, we got about 90% of the kids. Now, the, the downside to all of this was that it was all sort of uh, retroactively assigned arbitrarily, not arbitrarily, but somewhat arbitrarily by me or other staff members who helped me do this. You know, it, it's not that scientific, but it's good enough for the point, I think, was – and that was the gist of, of everybody supporting me to write the article was if you take 500 kids and you say – you know, basically, they were coming from school for various reasons, and this is what they did after your program. Um, you can make some statements about that. That's 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 worthwhile. And uh, I don't know if I would have gone through with it without that kind of um, support and coaching. Mm -hmm. Just getting that statistic that eighty percent of those who have gone through North Star go on to some form of higher education or formal training—that's super powerful and very reassuring for new families who are considering this. Right, because it's at least as high as like your average suburban high school, more or less. I mean, you know, especially with gap years and other things now. Um, mm -hmm. and it's certainly higher than the national average when you include everybody in the United States, like 60 or 58 or 60% of kids go to college or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's it's more than your average and it's, it's certainly comparable. The, um, the, and the interesting thing is that we deal with a lot of kids who, when they join North Star, are not on a college track, who are hurting, who are angry, who are resistant, who, who don't feel confident educationally. And probably, you know, when we meet them at 14, 15 years old, don't see any path to college for them. And, and so our number being that high is actually, I think, rather profound. You know, we have no admissions. We turn nobody away. We welcome everybody who's interested. We don't worry if they're hard cases or are they likely to go to college and make our statistics for that look good because we don't even care whether they go to college or not. We we encourage people to work and travel and start businesses and don't go to college if you don't want to. You might hate college as much as you hate high school. So with all that going on, the fact that everybody still goes to college and can and gets in and it all works out, I think is extra powerful. I agree. And your study is one of the main reasons that uh, when people now ask, you know, how do they do? How do they turn out? You know, I cite this along with Peter Gray and Gina Riley's other studies and essentially say, you know, unschoolers and self-directed learners seem to do uh, just as well in terms of going on to college as other kids in their same socioeconomic bracket uh, seem to do. Yeah. It, there's not a, a big difference in either direction. I, that's what I think. I mean, I, especially when you try to take like cases with like cases, like the nonconformist mm -hmm. kid in school who, you know, muddles through high school, doesn't really want to go to college afterwards anyway, and finds a way not to go, resisting their whole community and the efforts to make them go. And some North Star kid who, or homeschooler who just delays college forever. And then finally, like at 24, they start college or if they ever go. Um, you know, it, it, when you hold those cases alike um, with personalities, it's it's pretty consistent. I don't think that that um, future outcomes hinge on one approach or the other, except for the fact that sometimes we are actually, you know, one thing's really worse for the other per for the person. So that when kids are in school and feeling miserable and rotten, and we get them out, and they um, feel better and start taking risks, that's really significant change. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for a homeschooler who's, who's bored homeschooling and really wants to try school and gets um, engaged in school with the whole community, that can be really good, too. So, um, you know, sometimes a shift of scenery is good for anybody. I agree. And that's so hard to measure. And right. you can't really accurately describe that in this alumni study. Regardless, I will link to the alumni uh, study, the survey. Yeah, I think, yeah, I really enjoy – I need to update it. I, You know, I would like to um, – Go through all the alums who are like you know two to five years, eight years out because they've changed some of their primary activities or have more to add on now. I mean, the oldest alums are like forty years old, and I enjoy talking to them too and their parents now, and it's hilarious. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, you know the recent alums, I don't think it's going to change the statistics very much because I think I think we got the basic picture. I don't think I, and I'm not dying to update it simply for the sake of getting better numbers or different numbers or. More, you know, I want more accurate numbers. Why not? Accuracy is a good thing, but um, I don't think that's going to change very much. I just enjoy, you know, an excuse to call everybody up. It takes a long time to do it, but you know, it's a good project to call everybody up and say, "What are you up to now?" So <laughs> you're a social guy, Ken. You like yeah, something this. to do. I got no life yeah. anyway. It's fun. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the book is great. It talks about the uh, alumni study. It talks all about North Star. This interview assumes that the listener always already knows something about North Star. And if we've completely lost you, then pause here and go back and listen to episode number one of this podcast, or just go to Ken's website or NorthStarTeens.org or NorthStarTeens.org. Thank you very much. But, uh, Basically, North Star is trying to help people not go to school. <laughs> and it's doing a great job, and it's been doing it for quite a while now. Um, yeah, we are going to focus more on the how North Star and the other centers that have uh, been based on the North Star model, the Liberated Learners Centers, um, how those are doing, and where you see uh, North Star and Liberated Learners fitting in in the broader uh, picture, Ken, because I know you think about this sure. stuff a lot. So let's start with the state of the Liberated Learners Network. Just give us a a quick history about uh, how this came up, how you chose the words Liberated Learners, and then uh, how it's grown and where it's gone. All right. So back in the first 15 years of North Star from 96 to maybe, you know, 2010, 2013, something like that, um, when people asked about the model, I would just tell them everything I knew and encourage them to consider helping kids in their community stop going to school and embark on homeschooling the same way we do. Um, and at one point we had a little conference and we came out with uh, a fellow named Joel Hammond from, from Princeton who was really enthused and he wanted to plan things out because he was going to quit his well-paying public school job to start a center and he had a newborn and he just wanted to do it right. And uh, it took a couple of years to do it, but then he launched the Princeton Learning Cooperative. This must have been 20. 13 something like that i don't know a while back and and at that point as the consulting continued joel suggested that we separate we create a separate nonprofit for the consulting and spread of the model so we'd have an umbrella organization um for the sake of of the network the network wouldn't just be under north stars uh 501c3 status it would be every it wouldn't be north stars business it would be a separate organization that seemed like a good idea we had the phrase liberated learners within the North Star community from um, many years ago when it was the name, it was used as the name of our newsletter, profiling teens and telling people about the program. And it came from our original sponsor, the person who gave us the 501c3 status. His name is TR Rosenberg, Pathfinder Foundation back in the day. And TR liked the word, the, 
the sound of liberated learners and we use that for our newsletter and then Joel and Allison Snake is from uh, Princeton uh, encouraged me to uh, use that name as well for the new organization and we did. Okay, and what is the function of the Liberated Learners Network today? Uh, it is what, the day-to-day -day work of it. Yeah, there isn't much day-to-day -day work, though. I was just on the phone today with Diane Murphy up at Big Fish in New Hampshire. There's about 12, 13, 14 centers now that are using the North Star model of creating a center to help students and families leave school and embark on homeschooling or perhaps use the center to sustain homeschooling longer than they might have otherwise. And... Um, basically the function of the network is to compare notes and professional colleagues. We have an email listserv. We all ask each other questions about how things are going. We are spending some money together to do some social media together to, um, maybe, uh, share, uh, classes or things that we're doing, fundraising ideas. We have a online portfolio system to help students keep track of what they're doing and then present it strongly. And that's a system that we've had specifically developed for liberated learners. Oh, cool. um, most of the money and the dues that come into liberated learners go to the computer programmer who's making this online portfolio. Um, within liberated learners, I speak to a lot of new people who are interested in the model just to see if that's something they want to, to, to start. And if they're serious about it, they, they can pay a consulting fee and have a six month arrangement with either Joel Hammond or myself usually to, to, create a business model and decide whether this is really something that they can get going in their communities. And then if they get past that phase and want to join, they join and we're all equals. And in fact, you know, we have the more rigorous we've made that process, the better we've become. And, and we'll talk about this more, but you know, many of the centers struggle with, with finances and the business plan. It's really hard to get enough people to pay enough money to cover all the costs. And the more that we've slowed people down with our consulting process, and think twice about opening a center and pause after the six month business plan before, you know, we agree to have them join liberated learners. Um, the stronger starts we're seeing, uh, we've had a good start with uh, embark center in Leesburg, Virginia, a good start with big fish in New Hampshire and a, a good start with Abitala in, uh, Manila, the Philippines where I went a year ago. So, um, it's amazing. You know, when it's, it was just, when I see their stuff online, they just had a, a video they made, Abitala did, and I just like, uh, they, they put one out in August, which was the, the week that I was there in 2018, and when I went, there was nothing. It was it was my host, Joey Villarama, who had this idea because from visiting North Star when she was in the United States, who wanted to start a center, so she brought me out there, and we went around meeting everybody and talking up this idea, and no, there's homeschooling that's legal in the Philippines, but... You know, no one knows about North Star. No one knows about a center or anything of this nature. And we just beat the bushes for a week and talked to everybody nonstop. And a year later, they have a center and they have 20 kids and they're starting a juniors program and they're they're rocking. And it's like, whoa, halfway around the world or actually <laughs> all the way around the world. Right. I mean, yeah, as yeah, far as you yeah. get, right. And that's it. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of kids who are not going to school now in a familiar kind of way because of Joey and our support for Joey. That's fabulous. You know, and there's other centers around the United States in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and in, in Canton, New York, and in, in New Haven. I'm gonna forget somebody, but there's a, there's um, um, 
as a bunch. Mostly they're concentrated in the no, Northeast in the United States, States, right? Yeah, mostly they end up being um, in the United States and around here. Um, but they could be anywhere. And I talk to people all the time about it around the world. In fact, I'm talking to somebody in Chile uh, next week. So, wow. you know, people inquire about the model all the time. And one of my first questions is, is homeschooling even legal in the country you're in? Um, and if not, you know, we're going to concoct another way to help people get out of an oppressive system. If, if homeschooling is legal, then let's talk about what it would take to help more people choose that option and what a center, what the role of a center could be or what it would look like in your country. Great. Uh, there was a center on the West Coast that Grace started, The Hive. Yes. Yes. And um, tell me a, a little bit about that because I was very excited for The Hive and it uh, was going to be the first center uh, – Correct me if I'm wrong, Ken. Was it the first center that opened on the West Coast, or was it the second one? That no, the second. The there was Coast? one in, in uh, Open Road in in Portland with Alan Burns uh, a few years and that, ago, and that closed after one a or year. two years, right? Yeah, one year yeah, after one year. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the Hive is on hiatus at this moment. They're not running for the 2019 2020 uh, school year, and so it, it it seems like Liberated Learners ha- has taken hold in in the northeast u.s a little bit in canada in the philippines uh, surprising everyone uh, but not on the west coast this is something that that people have asked me before like why aren't these centers why isn't there a north star on the west coast do you have an answer for that well there's only one north star i make them all use their own names right we're not franchising the name north star because i want people to do their own thing um but the, it, they exist where people want to start them. There's a fellow in Los Angeles who's starting a center right now, and we've consulted. He's been very successful up to this spot, and actually he's finishing the business plan and getting ready to launch, and it, it remains a question whether he's actually going to choose to join the Liberated Learners Network or whether he's just going to go independent. Um, so that, that will be something we'll see. Um, but they start where people choose to start them. We don't. We're not actually fishing for people. I mean, we could if anybody on this listening to this podcast wants to start a center and wants to contact me that you go to liberatedlearners.net and read the process about consulting and send an email and it all begins with a one-time no charge conversation with me be glad to do that with you but i don't go around the country trying to find you people to start centers and so it's all pretty (laughs) random where they are um the thing with grace is is both you know fabulously exciting and 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 sad um what's exciting is that for those of you following the story of North Star, you know that uh, Grace was my founding inspiration. I was a regular public school guy, was a public school teacher. I was enrolled at a PhD program to become a, a doctor of education so I could become a uh, school administrator and reform schools from the inside. Figure I'd become secretary of education or something like that one day or something like that. Um, pretty committed to public school reform. I'd been to Ted Sizer's Coalition of Essential Schools Pro, um, master's program of teaching in, at Brown. And, and it was pretty much inside the system when I got frustrated and disillusioned with the system. And the book that really pulled me out of it was Grace's book, The Teenage Liberation Handbook, How to Quit School and Get a Real Life in Education. You know, just flabbergasted me that this was a real thing, that there was a culture of kids who were growing up without school and that they were thriving. How could this be true? And I didn't know it. And so, you know, not only did I um, change my life, around that book. I started ordering that book by the case from Grace and uh, giving them out to every single prospective family member at, at North Star for a number of years. Um, 
I, I met Grace at a few not back to school camps, and you know she's connected to some of the North Star staff, and we have overlapping worlds, and so we became acquaintances and even friends. And and then she came out for North Star's twentieth anniversary celebration a few years ago. We we're starting year twenty four, so this would be about four or five years ago. She came out for our uh, our giant party, and she was so excited about what she saw. She said to herself and to us, "I think I should go back to Eugene and start one of these." And we were like, "Wow, we've inspired our inspiration. That's a full circle. That's like a lifetime accomplishment. <laughs> it's beautiful." So that was very exciting. Um, it turns out that Grace Llewellyn is not as famous in Eugene, Oregon, as she may be around the world with the rest of us in the um, alternative education circles. And so when Grace opened the hive, um, it turns out that the young people of Eugene, Oregon, did not suddenly act like bees in a school fleeing a bad place and going to their hive. They just didn't. And um, so, so it's 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 thin and that's, that makes things hard, right? If not enough people join, um, you can't really pay the rent. You can't really pay the staff. It's good for a few kids who are there, but you, you need a critical mass. And, uh, and so that hasn't happened yet for the hive. So they're taking a break and seeing if they can figure it out and try again in a year or something and figure out how to get that critical mass going so they can have a center. And this has happened to other liberated learners centers. They like the one you mentioned in Portland, they've mm -hmm. started up and then within a year mm -hmm. or maybe a little bit longer, they, they've closed almost always due to lack of enrollment, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Almost always due to lack of enrollment and the associated, um, you, you know, you could have a high enrollment with no money too, but usually it's, it's, it, you know, there's no critical mass of kids and there's not enough money. Mm -hmm. Um, there was one in Lemonster. There's one in, uh, West Hartford that didn't get too far. And, and the, the, those were all people who sort of um, just sort of um, we we it, it, earlier in our consulting phases we would just help anybody and say go ahead and start sure you can do this why not and then we would see them struggle and not really have a business plan and not realize you know the difficulties they were setting themselves up for and we decided we were being irresponsible and we should we should straighten up ourselves and our own process to uh, help people know what they're doing and, and, and succeed if they're going to do this. Um, and along the way, one of, you know, our, the program that lasted the longest that I'm still terribly sad um, has gone away is the program in Ottawa called Compass. And, um, you know, it's just hard, again, um, to sustain these bit small businesses. And it, that's just true of small business in general. And I'm sure it's true of democratic schools and, small private schools as well that don't have any endowments and are all working on um, tuition or fundraising to, to fund themselves unless you have an angel donor or some other kind of scheme. It's really hard to just get enough kids to pay enough money to pay your staff. And I think that, that must be true for everybody listening who's involved in democratic free schools and agile learning centers and small homeschooling co-ops and, and liberated learner centers. So you and Joel and Elson have been helping Liberated Learner Centers for a number of years now. Do you have anything that resembles a, a formula for for success? Can you can you comment at, at all about what will broadly make a, a center work and make it sustainable versus one that's more likely to to struggle? Um, when you choose to join our starter process and we give you this document, the planning document we call it, um, we ask you to make a mission statement and a vision statement. We ask you, you know, who the team is, 
Um, and and then we start saying, who in the community have you spoken to about this? And, and it seems that the way that these things work well is when the people starting it have a team. It's not a solo person. There's a couple of people who, who are on this team that want a center to be created that actually want to work in the center. And there's a lot of people who don't have any desire to work in the center, but really want it to exist. And collectively, these people go around and they talk up the concept to not dozens, but literally hundreds of people in the community, youth group leaders, after school programs, sports coaches, uh, therapists, um, religious leaders, everybody. You have to get out and tell everybody that you would like to start a program that's going to give an alternative to school for kids who are seeking that choice, but they need some support. Their families aren't going to be independent homeschoolers in the way that one might stereotype that, that idea. And so um, people need a center and you're going to create it and it's going to be modeled after North Star. And here's the link. It's going to be part of Liberty Learners Network. Here's the link. Here's the book. Here's the videos, the TED Talks. Joel's done TED Talk as well. And with the whole system for this, and we would like to bring this to our community for all these kids who are, who are not thriving in school and want to get out and, but need some help. We're going to do this. It means asking and telling everybody that you have this idea that you want to do this and that you would like their thoughts on that and who else might you speak to until you've done this over and over again so that you have a really long list of meetings you've conducted and suggestions of people to talk to. It involves some luck then of finding a space and having some meetings and trying to enlist the first uh, likely members who might come as children of the founding group. You know, the founders, these workers who are doing all these meetings might have children of their own and might be some local homeschoolers who want to join, you know, this kind of program. But mostly we're getting kids out of school. We're not mostly collecting homeschoolers. And I think when you start a center, a North Star Center, and it's based primarily on collecting the existing homeschoolers, that's actually a bad way to start. Because mm -hmm. they're not used so to paying enough money. They don't necessarily want it. You know, taking a collect, you know, a homeschooling co-op model, this is different from a homeschool co-op model and it has a different mission and purpose. And lots of homeschoolers love and thrive at North Star. And, you know, we make a huge difference in their lives and it's fantastic. But, but the organization need, you know, the purpose of us is to help people who, who are, who are just miserable waking up every morning, going to school to, to be able to opt out tomorrow. Today is your last day of school. That's a, that, that's a lively mission. That's a, that's a heart changing activity to be doing and and that needs to be at the heart of what we're doing otherwise you know providing quality activities and a home away from home for the happy homeschoolers is a lovely thing to do and i love it when we get those families but that's not necessarily a mission and there's a lot of other good options for homeschoolers and a lot of options that probably cost less than enrolling in the liberated learner centers and so that's that's just a lot of competition and, and that and that's a good thing to have so yeah. many options yeah, I mean, one of the one of the main things is that we're not really competing with private schools. We're mostly competing with public schools, charter schools, and school of choice, all of which are free, right? Mm -hmm. Some kids going to public school for free with a big yellow bus that drives them there for free, um, often from their driveway or their house out here where I live, at least. Um, and and when you opt out, you don't get that, whether you're opting out for private school or uh, homeschooling. And so, and homeschooling alone at first is, is independent homeschooling is free nominally. I mean, of course, there's opportunity costs for parents and 
everything costs. But, you know, the actual, there's no fee you have to pay to the school system to become a homeschooler. And you can use a, the public library and a lot of other, you know, free resources if you already have a computer and internet, for example. But anyway, um, we're competing with low-cost alternatives, right? Even though we say North Star is a private alternative to school is is 30 or 40% of what private high schools cost, nobody cares. It's true, and I'm proud of that, but it doesn't really get me very far. Let's talk about liberated learners more broadly situated sure. within the alternative education movement. Um, you were at the Aero Conference yes, uh, earlier, was. summer 2019. You, I know that you've been meeting uh, people in these other circles, like Sudbury schools, like Agile Learning Centers. Um, I wrote an article comparing the, those three models, the Liberated Learners model and ALCs and Sudbury. And I and I I ticked you off a little bit by using the phrase a benevolent dictator enough so that you wrote a whole re- article in response. Yes, I did uh, to being called a benevolent dictator. But uh, I I'd love to hear the Ken Danford take on how liberated learners fits into this broader ecosystem of alternatives to school and alternative schools right now, and and what unique kind of niche it, it fills. What what do liberated learners centers do that these other models don't do in the same way or not as well. Right. Well, I'll start first with the Blake Bowles uh, Arrow keynote speech of just saying, actually, you know, we all have a lot more in common than we do have differences. You know, we, we you have those two wonderful slides about things that common, um, com- the common assumptions of schooling versus the common assumptions of self-directed learning. And uh, we can put them up or something, but uh, um, we all have a lot more in common with 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 trusting teens and believing in the power of choice and accepting no for an answer from kids and not trying to make kids learn things because we think they ought to um, and giving kids freedom of space to move about. Um, and and the other thing that we've discussed before is that in most parts of the world or most communities in the United States, um, there's only one of these things anyway. So it's not like we're all competing against each other for the same kids. It's not like you could join um, North Star or go to a Sudbury school or join an agile learning center. You're lucky if you got any one of these things within driving distance of your house. So um, we should all be glad that all of us are trying to open up the world for teens in ways that resonate for our personalities and our educational visions, right? So that's that's the first yeah, um, well said. lovely well lovely scenario, right? Um, so the main the main thing between liberated learners and the democratic free schools. And including Sudbury's, if that's fair to include Sudbury within the same Democratic Free School, and I, I sort of think it is, but I might be wrong, um, is that the main thing is that those places are schools and, North, and liberated learning centers are not schools. And which the main thing about that is that the Democratic Free Schools therefore require attendance five days a week, at least five hours a day, with the common assumption that you'll stay through senior year and graduate and get a diploma from them because they are schools. Um, and therefore, they they have a certain kind of community and expectation and longevity and a role in a family's life that is familiar in that way. That's all fine and good and it appeals to a lot of people and it appeals to a lot of founders who want to create that kind of community um, for themselves to work in. 
that's what they want to offer. So great. Uh, Liberate Learners is not that. You don't have to come five days a week. You don't have to come five hours a day. You can come one day a week. You can come for one year or two years. You can move on when you're 14 or 16 or 18. You move on when you're done with the center. And you can move on to community college. You can do anything, obviously, as you know I'm going to that, – that speech. But – but uh, so we we claim less time or less obligation from people to attend North Star, and therefore kids can be at home. Kids can have other activities and and uh, programs and classes and jobs, and and the whole world is their oyster rather than just we created a better building for them to come to than the public or private school they were at before us. So um, that seems really important to me. To to define liberated learners as promoting the self-directed learning, unschooling, homeschooling lifestyle that the center is one element of versus a democratic free school, which while it shares some of the respect and traits of offering kids, you know, a space to do what they want and a chance to, to decline the invitations, um, it, it, the obligation to be there all day, every day is, is, is a hugely important distinction to me at least. How was that for starters? That was great. And and something that you've often said, and I'm sure I've repeated on this podcast, is that in, at a Liberated Learners Center, you essentially say, if you want to come here, you got to be a homeschooler, which means you got to go file your own paperwork for your kid to be a homeschooler legally in your state of residence. And that puts a fundamental sense of responsibility and ownership into the hands of, of the learner and of the parents. And it, and the fact that Liberated Learner Centers, by and large, are only open four days a week when they could be open five days a week. But the fact that a lot of these centers are closed on Wednesday, Wednesdays just to kind of keep it in everyone's heads that this is not a school. This is not a place where you just drop your kid off five days a week and and forget about it. Right. Uh, you know, this at least one day a week is going to be yours, uh, you know, Continue to take advantage of it. Do stuff outside of uh, outside of this center. Um, this is your life. You know, we're just here to help to the extent that you want and need help. Right. You're hired with the Liberated Learners promotions, um, but there are some centers that are open, especially with younger kids. You know, under age twelve, um, some of them are open five days a week. Right. They, you know, whatever. It, it, it is not a requirement within Liberated Learners, but there is. It is a requirement that we're not schools and that we're forcing people. We're supporting people, not forcing them. We're supporting them to claim their freedom to go write this homeschooling plan. We give them templates. We tell them the process. Everybody's approved. We demystify it. We we, we defang it. It's not very scary, and and it's a very empowering act for some of these parents to to successfully yank their kids out of school. Um, they they you know for some of them they feel they well, Chris Croto has written you know it was the most powerful thing he's ever done in his life for his son Ferris at North Star. Getting his son, claiming his son out of school, um, so uh, yeah, I I find that um, a central a central element of that V. And again, you know, I know that the Democratic Free School people like the fact that they're a school where people come five days a week for twelve years um, for a lot of good reasons. So uh, it, we don't have to say which one's better, other than which one I prefer for my own personality and my own work career. Um, but that's pretty a narrow preference. That that doesn't mean a, some holy grail kind of thing. 
Yeah, and I appreciate the argument that comes from democratic free schools or perhaps agile learning centers that that do operate five days a week with mandatory minimum attendance, which is that when, when everyone's there all the time, that creates a certain culture that is that's different and and harder to achieve in a place where kids can drop in anytime, they can leave anytime. Some kids only come one day a week or two days a week. There's just a much higher churn rate, which is a result of all the freedom and openness and flexibility that you give them. Yeah. Though I just got an email from somebody at a private school, one of those schools, asking about, you know, they're they're having a discussion about creating a teen program. And, you know, what was our experience with the identity? Did kids identify with the center? And, you know, did they feel a sense of community? And I was overwhelmingly like, yes. Yes, kids feel identified with North Star. Kids feel part of our community, even if they come two days a week. Um, as adults, many of us go to things just two or three times a week, and we feel like they're really important to us. And you know whenever you're at North Star, everybody else has chosen to be there. They're not there just because it's a weekday and they have to be there. You know that, oh, you come on Thursdays too. Oh, you don't come Thursdays? Oh, I'm never going to see you. Shoot. Um, you know, like people know it creates a different sense. It's it's just different. But I'm not even going to, I really don't want to concede that it's less than. So there. Mm. Yeah. Great. <laughs> good, good rebuttal. All right. Ken, earlier this summer, I ran this little weekend, the Young Professionals in Self-Directed Education Retreat yes. held at Camp Stomping Ground. And it was for people in their 20s and 30s who are trying to make a full-time living in self-directed education. And you were the resident uh, old guy exception. Uh, who came and everyone loved that you were there. So I, I'm so glad that you you Thank were you. the exception. And I'm wondering if you can share anything you might have learned or something that was new for you uh, right. from that weekend. Because because I, I know that you really enjoyed it. Right. Well, two things. Um, one was I had the chance to run a little conversation about what would you do at your school if. Um, how do you resolve these kinds of conflicts or someone wants to paint the bathroom or, you know, someone's violent, you know, someone's being annoying or rude or someone's been stolen. How do you resolve it? What do you do? Because I wanted to see how similar or different, you know, being a free democratic free school is versus being an agile learning center versus how we do it, at least how I do it at North Star and how I think many of the liberal learning centers do it. And, you know, I was really um, entertained to find out that most of us handle almost all these situations in similar ways. Um, the, the, there wasn't so much diversity. There's a lot of restorative justice. There's a lot of listening. There's a lot of consensus. There's a lot of desire to be inclusive. Um, and and uh, to give away one punchline, um, I find that even at the democratic free schools or the places with student judiciaries or students trying to manage most of the conflict resolution, that when I threw out the hairiest situations, um, they'd be adult mediated in most cases. Mm. Um, I don't think that's, that's, uh, I think, I think that's a fair characterization if you were there. Um, yeah, I think it is fair. And so, um, I feel like we all share certain sentiments far more closely than we realize. We may use different vocabulary. We may lead with different elements, like some of the places with the student judiciaries. Um, but we're all aiming to be uh, different from the top-down, draconian, uh, punishment-oriented uh, schooling system and uh, and judiciary system that we have in this country. And that all of us are trying to run communities, you know, certainly more uh, holistically and, and, and uh, generously. And 
um, thoughtfully than, than the general culture tends to deal with conflict. So I was really heartwarmed and, and, but interested to see that, uh, we weren't all that distinct, um, with how we would handle, you know, a teen who wants to paint a special bathroom, a special color. I don't know. Um, anyway, that was one thing. Um, but the other thing I wrote up in the, in my blog or on my website after the event, which was just the, the, the strong, joyful realization that all these people are involved in this movement. It's, there's a certain level of uh, experimentation and anarchy about the movement all over the country. People are starting agile learning centers or coaching homeschoolers and, and creating little co-ops or starting little private schools. And some of them are for preschool and some of them are for elementary school. And, you know, most of them are K through eight, though some are for teenagers. Um, but there's a huge number of people engaged. And what I wrote was that, you know, back when Joshua and I started, Joshua Hornick and I started North Star in, in 1996, we didn't have anybody to talk to. We didn't have any young professionals retreat to go to with Blake Bowles. Um, there was, there was, you know, there was Sudbury, but they didn't really want to talk to us. <laughs> um, there weren't that many alternative schools. They certainly weren't young people. You know, we were 30 years old, I was, well, 30 and 36 at the time, but not under 40. There weren't people running alternative schools to talk to. There weren't really homeschooling co-op providers or teachers or not parents who were under 40 who wanted to talk to us about hosting us. And we, we just had each other. We would be like, Josh, what do you think? He goes, I don't know. What do you think? Well, well let's try that. And and you look today, I look today, and I just see all these fabulous people at the Arrow Conference, at your retreat, at the, within the Liberty Learner Centers, and all the people who didn't make it to any of those conferences, and all the people I talked to on the, on the, you know, throughout the year. And it's just staggering. It's so fantastic that, that so many people are working in their communities to do something to help their, first of all, their own children often, but oftentimes not their own children. Other people's kids have an alternative to what many of us find to be an overly rigid public school system and an, and, and an alternative to an overly expensive private school system. That's very inspiring, Ken. I, I, I love that. I'm, Thank you. I'm living large this fall because of you, Blake, because of that event. I mean, you know, that event was the culmination. It was those three. It was the Liberated Learners Conference and then the, and then the Arrow Conference, then your retreat back to back to back sort of in a month. But it was, it was overwhelming, really, when I went and thought about it. Let's talk about your. <laughs> let's talk about you, Ken. Let's, Me. let's move away from liberated learners. Move away from North Star, even, and let's talk about uh, Ken Danford, the, yeah. the man, the myth, the legend. And what is next for you? You've been doing the executive director thing for more than two decades now. This this would be year twenty four that we're starting North Star right now. Wow, almost two and a half decades, and I'm sure that you've you've never paid yourself you know, what, what you could be worth in many other roles in our economy. Uh, is this something you see yourself doing for a lot longer? Do you see yourself taking this show on the road and expanded liberating, liberated learners somehow? What's going on, Ken? It's a good question, Blake. Um, I think I've told you before that at one point I came up with my 45 year plan. Did I tell you that? That uh, sounds kind of ridiculous, and it sounds like something you would say, but please refresh me. The the first 15 years of the career, starting at age 30 when I quit school and started uh, Pathfinder North Star at the time, 
the first 15 years would be uh, internally focused on getting this program solid up and running. And I'd be fully focused on the day-to-day -day basics of running a center and serving the people within it. And then the second 15 years would be a gradual shift from focusing only on North Star to sharing what I know and writing, speaking, going to aero conferences, doing workshops, and uh, trying to, to spread the knowledge a little bit and do what we're doing. And then the third 15 years, so when I turn 60 and go to 75, right, uh, would be solely the, you know, get my nose out of the North Star grind and just go around speechifying and presenting and writing and troublemaking around the country or around the world for that matter, right? So you've been ahead of your your deadline in terms of uh, you know helping other centers. Well, kind of right on cue, man, because you know twenty two and a half. I'm right in the middle of that second fifteen year thing. <laughs> I'm right on schedule, which is preposterous because okay. I really did think of this idea back when I was like thirty, and well, it's just so well, pathetic that I'm like this, but it's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> well done. Not many people can can do such long term uh, goal setting. Yeah, yeah, good grief. Yeah. <laughs> So, so does this mean you see yourself stepping away from running North Star at some point in the near future? Can well, near gives me about such six, seven, things? eight years to do it, but um, I guess so. It, you know, um, I have we have a wonderful team at North Star. It does mean that right now, um, if I choose to confront our budget crisis, we have about fifty, fifty-five kids, not sixty, sixty-five kids right now, which creates a little bit of a budget shortfall. And if I choose to solve that by uh, lowering my salary rather than firing any of my colleague, friends, staff members, um, or reducing their hours, um, I can I can be at North Star Less and leave it in the hands of all these quality people that are there. And it's really it's a highly functional situation. It's really true that I can, and um, and that does leave me time to um, go to Philadelphia for a book event or you know take off a Friday to go you know speak or whatever. So I think it's really happening gradually in that way. Um, there is not a, uh, you know, most of the people under 40 who worked at North Star who might have been, um, likely next executive directors have gone away or reduced, you know, like we don't have an obvious person at the moment. Successor. There's no successor at the moment, but it doesn't matter because the organization can change and shift as it happens. You know, it doesn't have to stay exactly the same. The, it would be important to me that the mission stay the same. Um, and two things have to happen really for it to be financially viable. Otherwise, things are really going to fall apart if I'm not there to hold it together. One is I would love to um, figure out a way to uh, to purchase our building that we're in right now or a home for North Star. Um, and the other is to have – if we owned a, the building and weren't paying rent except to ourselves, that would solve some of our financial crisis. And then the other major one would be to have an endowment of maybe, say, a million dollars or more that would produce – you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year reliably. And if we if we controlled our building and had that kind of outside income, um, North Star would be close to being set for life. Or, you know, indefinitely. So um, you know, that's a project to work on for the next few years, huh? You got two million bucks? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna try to surprise you with this question yeah. here at the end, Ken, which is, you know, what do you think could make a huge difference both for either for North Star or for Liberated Learners Network? In general, because you have confided in me before, your desire for some wealthy benefactor to emerge from the darkness and to endow North Star or the Liberated Learners Network. And are you essentially seeing this 
as an opportunity to earn interest from an endowment that will help supplement a budget? Or what yes. else could you do with, with a large amount of money? Well, that's what Northstar would do with it. If Northstar had, you know, $2 million, $1 million would go into a physical plant or, you know, less than a million maybe, but somewhere around a million would go into, you know, purchasing a building and owning it and managing it. And another million would produce forty to $50,000 a year of um, money to be used for staffing, or, you know, budget issues. Um, at least that's my, I'm not, a, you know, that sounds pretty dictatorial that I just say that, but um, there's a board of directors and a team, so I wouldn't actually make that decision alone, but that would be my my vision for the moment. Um, for liberated learners, I, you know, that's a whole nother open question. What if someone gave a million bucks or more to liberated learners to help start up centers? Then we would, you know, um, what would we do? I don't know. Are we just going to throw money at all you people out there listening to help you start centers? Maybe. <laughs> Here's, take $25,000 for your first year. I don't know. Um, That'd be cool. You know, what What? What kind of promotions or outreach or messaging or, you know, uh, media blitz would we do? I don't know what we would do. It's a little unclear. I mean, right now, Liberty Learners has, you know, very little money itself. It's just dues from within that the centers pay and then, you know, cover some of our time and costs for doing all the consulting that we do and building out this uh, online portfolio and maybe doing a little, little stuff, but you know, it's not a big budget. Um, mm -hmm. if, if, if someone felt that what we our set of centers should be everywhere, which we agree with, what would we do? How would, what would be the realistic way to uh, expand that in a thoughtful and careful way? Um, I'm all open to that question. Cause you know, Joel's pretty serious. Allison's pretty serious. We, we have a good, the teammates we have across all the liberal learner centers are pretty serious. So, you know, we can get ourselves together and come up with a pretty, um, good scheme. It's not, you know, and we'll, it would be a fair demand from anybody who wants to give us money to spread the model, to have a better plan than we have at the moment, but we'd come up with one. And Kent, I have an idea for you. Okay. It just came to me yes. right now. Blake Bowles. Choose, choose one major interstate highway yes. in the United States and spend a million dollars to canvas it on billboards for a, a week, you know, in, in 100 mile intervals with a sign that says learning is natural, school is optional, liberatedlearners.net. What do you think? I think that at the end of that, the million dollars would be gone. And I don't know what we'd have, but it would be funny for a week. At least. But I fear we would have no million dollars after that. All right. Any listeners out there who knows a, a multimillionaire who or a billionaire? Billionaires are if, cool too. If that would make somebody uh, laugh for a week, I'd be glad to have their million dollars do that. But I have better uses for a million dollars that would be uh, more sustainable. Good. Good. So we're looking for, mm. for a few people out there who've got a, a lot of money and whose kid you know is probably going to a very expensive private school, but that's still not working for and, them. Yeah. And and liberated learners is going to work for them. That's that's what we're looking for here. And adults who who have made it through school but really hated every minute of it, or didn't finish school and have thrived in spite of that, and they really want people to know that that's valid, and should more people should should be coached and supported to make that choice in their lives. You are the people if you've been successful after not completing high school or hating it yourself, who uh, who might find uh, what we're doing really fascinating and useful. And with that. We will end this interview, Ken.
Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure having you on here. I, I even forgot to mention that we did – I did a whole episode recently with just the voices of North Star teens. Yes, you did. So, so go back and listen to that episode too if, if you like what you heard here. And Ken, any final words for our listeners? This is your chance. This is your soapbox. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who extends themselves to help young people in their communities have a better way to live their daily lives. That's really what this is all about. So thank you. Thank you, Ken. All right.